Luke 1 it is. Luke 1 verses 39 through 56 is the chunk that we're going to look at today. So um, for those of you who are guests with us, we um, are starting the book of Luke. It's We're three or so weeks in. And so uh, just plugging through and allowing God's word to dictate to us uh, what what we discuss and what we talk about. So today we are in verse 39 as we getting nearer and nearer to uh, the birth account of Jesus and we get nearer and nearer to Christmas in our own cultural culture and lives. So let me read verses uh, 39 through 56 in their entirety uh, and we'll ask God to attend to his word. And to bless us. The word of God reads as follows. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And now Elizabeth finishes talking and Mary begins to speak, actually sing. This is a a song, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, that is Elizabeth, about three months, and returned to her home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is powerful. We thank you that you delight to speak to your children. We thank you for the promise that your sheep will hear your voice. And so above my voice, above any other voice that might ring in our head, from our own to our enemies to those around us, may the voice that rings through clearly right now in our hearts and ears, may it be Jesus. Speak to us, I pray. And help us to be able to identify the work of your spirit and to plead for you to work in and through our lives. 
Please, oh God, work in this moment and give us a sense, a strong sense of your holy, beautiful goodness. Please, Lord, give us eyes to see. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Signs are given all throughout our world to point directions to certain things. Go this way, don't go this way, etc. Sometimes signs are actually placed in certain locations to tell what actually already exists. As I was looking online, I wanted to kind of go through just a few signs that I found online that kind of have both of those functions. So the first sign is this one. Warning, children left unattended will be sold to the circus. I thought that was a really odd sign, and it made me laugh out loud, so I thought I would share it. What's this sign saying? Don't leave your children unattended. Okay, so that's a sign of instruction. What's the next one? The next one is surgery parking only, five-minute limit. I do not want to go to this surgeon, because it's laser uh, surgery, if you see underneath. Like, it's going to happen quickly. So... This is a sense of warning, you're going to get towed, but also, hey, we want to accommodate you in your surgery. I'm not sure how those two go together. Next one. This one was, <laughs> go this way. <laughs> Good luck. I appreciate the humor. But sometimes signs are just stating what is present. It's not telling you directions, it's just stating what is happening. And so I thought this sign in Chicago was helpful. You'll never get to work on time. Ha 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 ha. So this sign is saying, okay, you're at a loss. You're not going to get there. Now as we dive into this passage right here, what is unique is that there are clear signs in this passage that the Spirit of God is at work. And so what we want to be able to do is we want to be able to look and identify not only how we should live our lives, where we should go, but how we can identify the Spirit's work in our lives and in the lives of others. Because what we begin to see is that it is attributed to Elizabeth that the Spirit of God is at work, but also by the end of Luke's second volume, which is Acts, you begin to see that almost everything that is happening in this passage is a work of the Spirit of God. And so what we want to do is see this. What are some of the signs of the Spirit's work in the lives of His people? Now we're not going to get an exhaustive list of those signs, but what we are going to do is see what some of those signs are in this passage and therefore hopefully pray for them in our own lives and be able to identify them around us. There are five. The first one is joy at the blessing of others sign that the Spirit of God is at work is that you're happy that others are happy. Two, trusting God to do the impossible. Where does faith come when everything around you is contra-faith? It doesn't seem possible. It comes from the Spirit of God. Number three, when there is praise and thanksgiving and affection that come out of the heart towards God. Spirit is at work. Number four, there is a sense of humble submission. 
There is a humility. It's the opposite of pride, opposite of boasting in self. And there is this glad-hearted submission. Father, I will go where you want me to go. And number five, it's a mouth that speaks often of the works of God. A mouth that speaks often of the works of God. These are some signs not all of them. We know Galatians 5 tells us what are some of the signs of the Spirit, what's some of the fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You, you study that, you begin to pray for that, and you look at it. But these are some things unique to this text that I think Luke tells us. By the end of his second volume, the Spirit's all over every bit of this, and this is how we can know. So let's dive in. In chapter 1, verse 39, we begin to read that Mary is going with haste to the hill country to her relative, Elizabeth. Remember, Elizabeth and Zechariah have been given a child. We know that this child will be John the Baptist, the, the predecessor, the announcer to the coming Messiah. And so once Mary, which was last week's sermon, was told she will, as a virgin, conceive by the work of the Spirit of God within her, this miraculous kind of what will be the virgin birth, she goes to haste to Elizabeth because she is told that Elizabeth also has conceived a son. If you see that in verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who has been called barren. And so Mary runs to Elizabeth, and now we find in verse 41 that when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, Mary comes into the door and she greets her relative. And something amazing happens. There is this baby in Elizabeth's womb that kicks and leaps with joy, it says in the text. I don't know if you see that, but... It says in verse 44, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Just a side note, first of all, the text could not be clear. It is a child. And second of all, it's a child that has emotions that can be attributed to joy. So these things are not made up. This is not tissue. This is child, baby. And so what we see here is a baby leaping in the womb with just the greeting from Mary. And so we have Elizabeth who just effusively begins to thank God for his work in Mary's life. I mean, remarkably humble. I don't know if you see this. Not only is she saying in verse 42, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. I'm sorry, I read that like several times and I wanted to attribute that to the underwear brand. It just messed me up. The fruit of the loom just kept coming out in my brain. But that's not what it says. I had to carefully read that the first time. Fruit of your womb. Okay, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. The issue here is I am so glad that God has blessed you. He has satisfied you. He has used you for a purpose. And then look at what he continues to say. And why, or what Elizabeth continues to say, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Just remarkable faith. The baby in your womb is my Lord. That takes some massive faith. That's my Lord. 
It's the one I'm going to give my life to. It's my boss that I will submit to. You just begin to see. And what is all of this that's going on? Verse 45, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She is just so thankful that Mary was acting in faith. What does the passage attribute all of this to? You see it in verse 41. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so all that we are reading about what Elizabeth is doing is this filling of the Spirit. And then as we dive into this song of Mary, it's one of three poems, three songs in the first two chapters of the book of Luke. This song that Mary lays out here is basically follows a pattern of the psalm of thanksgiving. So psalms have certain categories, um, different types. There's psalms of lament and psalms of praise and psalms of thanksgiving. Well, this follows a certain pattern known as a psalm of thanksgiving. One of those would be Psalm 103, which you actually will hear some echoes if you were to read Psalm 103, some echoes even here in this song that Mary is singing. Nonetheless, it's like Elizabeth's filling of the Spirit was contagious. And Mary begins to shout forth in praise. And so she does. She overflows with affection. And listen to what she says. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? Why is my spirit rejoicing? For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, I felt it was appropriate at this point, just because Luke has the most exhaustive treatment of Mary in the Scriptures. He hones in more on Mary than anyone else. And so I think it's appropriate here to, to kind of lay a comparison, contrast kind of thing regarding what Catholics say about Mary and what we believe uh, the Bible teaches about Mary. And I think one of the major verses... Uh, that is misconstrued is verse 48, that when Mary says, for behold, now all generations will call me blessed, there's this sense of they will not just call her blessed because she carried Jesus, but they will call her blessed for other reasons. So the other reasons are uh, a quote, here's a quote from some leading modern day Catholics, it was that Mary is the, quote, model of perfect love and obedience to Christ. God preserved Mary from sin, and she is the mother of God. Mary is the most beautiful model of total submission to the will of God, end quote. These things are the regular teaching of the Catholic Church, and therefore they pray to Mary and they call out to her that her obedience would be their obedience. And what I think is remarkable is that this passage addresses some of these very problems. I would argue that Mary was not free from sin and that the most beautiful model of total submission to the will of God is Jesus Christ himself. And so one of the reasons that we know Mary was not free from sin 
is her own mouth in verse 47. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Savior here is not a word of just a general rescuer who helped my physical body be preserved from some type of physical turmoil. No, this declaration of God as Savior is a declaration of a spiritual need that must be redeemed. And God is the one who is my Redeemer. He is my Savior. Sinful people talk about the need for a Redeemer. And so, I do believe Mary fits underneath Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The scriptures only declare, the Bible only declares one purpose, one person to have been without sin, and that is Jesus. You will find nowhere in the scripture that anyone else was said to be without sin. And so we categorically must reject this view of Mary. And interestingly, it has been a long time temptation to take what is so good about Mary, which is her remarkable faith, which, if you recall, last week was attributed to, and she found favor in the eyes of the Lord. She got grace from God. That's what that passage means. She got grace. She got help. That's where the faith erupted from. It was the grace of God to her. But there's been a long time temptation to exalt Mary. And what we see is Luke 11, 27 through 28, is people trying to exalt Mary and Jesus' response to it. I found this very helpful. Luke eleven twenty seven through 28. And as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. And Jesus here had every opportunity to say, yes, she is blessed. You should pray to her. You should follow her. And instead, he diminishes her with these words. Blessed, he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Yes, her obedience is beautiful, but the one who is blessed is the one who follows me, worships me, surrenders their life to me. Having every opportunity to make much of Mary, he diminishes her for the sake of following God. And so it doesn't surprise us that that would be a temptation later. But as with most um, wrong teachings, they minimize Jesus. And try to raise others to his level. Whether intentional or not. The Catholics are really devout to say there is only one God and there's only one God that we worship. But in this attempt to lionize Mary, they end up diminishing their Savior. Diminishing Jesus and his superiority. There is one mediator between God and man. His name is Jesus Christ. And so... We don't get angry, we don't get hateful, but we must declare what is true and what is false. And here, when she is saying, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, 
They will because she chose Christ. She believed that God's plan was good for her and she was used in a remarkable way. But don't make her obedience higher than the Bible does. And so we must take these lessons and move forward in seeking to be obedient as well. Because blessed is the one who hears God's word and obeys it. Now, the passage continues to go on. Not only does Mary erupt in praise for the great things God has done in using her, but also she is shouting out in praise because of how God is going to use her son. He's going to use Jesus. And that's where you go, verses 50 to 55. And two things we begin to see is that how God promises Grace to the humble and opposition to the proud. And you see that here. Mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. But he says in verse 51, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. So she is declaring who God is in relationship to the humble and to the arrogant, to the proud. And then he just gives several examples. Verse 52, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble. So she's just beginning to declare how God fulfills his promise of opposing the proud and giving grace to the humble. And then at the very end, in verse 54 and 55, she just declares that God is keeping his word and sending his Messiah to the people of Israel. And so the song finishes, and Mary remains there three months before she returns home. Now, What we see in this passage, I'm wanting to argue as what we saw in Elizabeth is what we also see in Mary, that the Spirit of God was at work in these two women in great ways. And this passage serves us in creating signs, signposts to say, this is how you know the Spirit's at work. And so I just want to walk through a few of these and apply it to our lives as we look at it in Luke 1. So we went all the way through the text, now we're going all the way back through it again. Okay? Round one, now round two. Ding, ding. Here we go. Joy at the blessing of others. What are some of the signs that the Spirit of God is at work? One, joy at the blessing of others. Verse 42. Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this been granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. It is the filling of the Spirit that causes her to delight that God is at work in Mary. I want to ask, For each one of us to be set free. There is very few things that free you up more than the person or the life that you are most covetous of or jealous over for you to pray for them to be blessed. There are few things that set you free like that person or that church or that job that really tempts you to say, oh, but I want that. And deep down, 
You're fine if they have it, but if you're having to choose, you'd like to have it. And to pray, oh God, bless this person. Bless this church. When you pray these, this way, there is a sense that the Spirit of God sets you free and that the Spirit of God is at work. We get jealous over jobs. We get jealous over children. We get jealous over spouses. We get, they've got what we don't have. We get jealous over churches. We get jealous over certain things within the church. Well, they got attention and we didn't. There's so many things that could evoke jealousy. And what we see here, when the Spirit of God filled Elizabeth, the thing that came out of her mouth is, you're, you're blessed, and I am so thankful to God that He is using you in this way. Oh, that we would talk that way and be set free. There is, when the Spirit of God fills you up, there is a joy at the blessing of others. And the Lord just brought to my mind as I was thinking about this, that some of the simplest things need to be said. And as I was praying for moms in this church, Moms and dads, it just came to mind that kid comparison and mom comparison, dad comparisons, they're not from the Holy Spirit when they begin to defeat you and you begin to crave what other people have. Sometimes just the simplest things need to be said. The wishing for other people's lives, the longing for other people's children or spouses, it just needs to be said that that is not from the Holy Spirit. What is from the Holy Spirit is a joy that that person is not only doing well, could we even pray that they exceed us for the sake of God's name? That the church down the street would blossom in conversions and grow beyond even what this church grows to. For the sake of God's name in our city. Oh, that we would pray that God would just use us and we would not feel like we have to be someone else, but that He would use us uniquely as we are. Elizabeth was not the one to bear the Savior and she was okay with that. In fact, she was in awe and humbled that Mary was carrying her Lord. When the Spirit of God is at work, there's a joy at the blessing of others. Number two, when the Spirit of God is at work, there's a trusting God to do the impossible. That's what Elizabeth comments on about Mary in verse 45. Verse 45, and blessed is she who believed, trusted. Well, when did she trust? Well, that was last week's passage, just a few verses earlier. If you remember verse 37 and 38. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You hear that? Impossible situation? She believed. Now in verse 45, Elizabeth is saying, Blessed is she who believed that God could do the impossible. This is a sign that the Spirit of God is at work, that you trust God more than your feelings, that you trust God more than your circumstances, you trust God more than the voices around you, you trust Him 
Proverbs 3, you lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways you acknowledge him and trust that he will make your path straight. And so, we can trust his purposes. We can trust his promises. There's zero suffering for the child of God that is throwaway. There's not one pain that you have gone through in your life that is wasted. It is all going to grow you and to use you in the lives of others who experience similar struggles. Friends, when God says, delight yourself in the Lord, Psalm 37.4, and He will give you the desires of your heart, there's a promise there for you. You delight in Him, He'll give you the desires of your heart even in the middle of the impossible because He's going to reorient your desires to say, Father, whatever you wish, I follow. And to me, this was no greater illustrated than when I got an email from my dear friend Tim Kane. Some of you um, might remember Tim came and preached here a few years ago uh, on care for the poor. He is a pastor of a church in San Diego. I even mentioned a few Sundays ago a, a little bit of his story a story where they uh, went to Uganda to seek to adopt their third child. And as uh, they went, they were told they would be there for six weeks, ended up having to be there for six months, and then told that they would have to probably be there for two years plus in order to have their daughter become theirs and they be able to bring her home. Well, the week after I preached that sermon and shared that information, we uh, was able to uh, lead a group of about 70 pastors in the Treasuring Christ Together Church Planting Network in San Diego, and we just pleaded with God on their behalf that God would make it clear, God would give breakthroughs, that God would answer, and He did, but it wasn't in the way that we thought. What we began to hear is that the Lord prompted Tim and Abby, Abby is Tim's wife, to just get to know the birth mom of this little girl Maggie a little better. See, what happened was the mom who had given birth had to appear in court and say, we cannot take care of this child and we are going to give her up for adoption. And the mom did that. But what Tim and Abby weren't given is why the mom did that. And because they were going to be there for a while, they decided to go and to get to know her and get to know her story. Well, they did. And what they began to find out was this mom loved her daughter Maggie. Loved her. But felt like life in America would be better for her. And so we're going to give her up for adoption. And the Lord had been at work in Tim and Abby's heart. A sense of unsettledness. And Tim actually prayed this. God, take everything from me. Take the church. Take speaking engagements. Take everything from me, but don't take little Maggie. And then, through a conversation, God led Tim to Psalm 31, which... We actually went through in the rest series just a few weeks ago. And it says, into your hands, O God, I commit my spirit. The very words that Jesus prayed on the cross. And Tim says, 
I want what's best for your name, God, and for this little girl. You know what happened? They went back, talked to that mom. And when that mom began to share through a translator that she loved this little girl and wanted to be her mom but felt like America was going to be better, Tim looked at her and said, there is nothing better than a mom's heart of love for her child because there are tons of really educated people who are living really miserable lives in America because they haven't found their hope in Jesus. Long story short, the translator, who they did not know, they ended up finding out that he was caring for over 40 different orphans, trying to partner with people who might support them. He had found no supporters, but he himself was working a full-time job and working out in the fields, using all of that money to help support some of these orphans so that they could stay with their biological families and, and get school fees paid and things like that. Well, when they found this story out, Tim and Abby were like, we would love to sponsor Maggie and her biological sister. And so all of a sudden you begin to see this shift, this handing over of their child to this mom that is her mom. And you know something else that was remarkable? When they went back to hand Maggie over to her mom and to do the whole transition thing, a man showed up as the translator between mom and Tim and Abby. And it was Maggie's biological mom's pastor. Come to find out, Maggie's biological mom had surrendered her life to Jesus just two weeks earlier. And Tim and Abby just wept. It was like, God, we thought that it was best to give her to her mom, no matter what religion she adhered to. Because God placed her in that family. But now we know that God is doing a work to rescue her heart. Tim and Abby would never have written this story. But because they came in and they cared for six months and they were mommy and daddy to Maggie for a season, God is now setting up structures to create a mom who has said, I will take this daughter to church day in and day out. And a pastor who says, I will come and visit them and preach them the gospel. And a man who says, I will use your support to make sure that their schooling is taken care of. Amazing. Trust God to do the impossible. Because he does it and he's doing it all the time. It's Not just the virgin birth, friends. It is in the here and the now. And when the Spirit of God is at work, we trust Him to do the impossible. Oh, dear friends, our God is bigger than we are. We can trust Him. There's another evidence of the Spirit in verse in Ephesians chapter 5, and it frames, I think, this entire song of Mary's. Ephesians chapter 5 is a very famous passage about being filled with the Spirit of God. And as Paul begins to talk about being filled with the Spirit of God, he talks about what this fullness of God's Spirit looks like in the lives of people. So listen to Ephesians 5, and now you'll begin to see why I'm convinced and why Luke was convinced that what we read about here in Mary, uh, from Mary in Luke 1, 
is the work of the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But instead, be filled with something else, right? You get the image? Don't be filled with this, be filled with this. Don't be controlled by this substance, be controlled by something else, namely the Spirit of God. And here's what it looks like when the Spirit of God controls you and fills you up. These are all participles that attach themselves to be filled, which means they are the ways that the filling up of the Spirit of God works itself out in the people. Look at number one. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You're a singing people when the Spirit of God comes over you. Number two, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, not just your mouth, but your heart accords with the words that you're singing. Number three, You're giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a thankful spirit. And number four, there is a submission. First to Christ, because you see that out of reverence to Christ. But there's a submission to one another. There is a delight to encourage, mutually edify, not lord over anyone, no matter our distinct roles. Or goals. These are some of the evidences that the Spirit of God has filled you up. So, it makes total sense why we would say then, number three, what's a sign that the Spirit of God is at work? It's praise, thanksgiving, and affection. Now, I genuinely felt after yesterday's flag football event with the men that I would be a little sore, but not too bad. I was wrong. Woke up several times in the middle of the night, hurting pretty badly. Walking up those steps was a camouflaged act of love. I thought that it was an act of love, but it was camouflaged all the pain. And so I thought genuinely, literally, I'm trying to keep my emotions to a minimum because I'm pretty sure that if the Spirit of God grips me and I throw my arms in large ways that there will be shouts, but there will be more shouts of pain than shouts of joy. Here, this is a shout of joy, effusive praise, and congratulations to the black team, I might add. They, out of four different colors, there were white and blue and uh, red and black. The black team won. So I, I know that blesses you who weren't there, and you don't care. But the black team, that means a lot to them, and I am thankful for them. And once again, I didn't win. It's okay. So, verse 46. What causes Mary's heart to erupt? My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices that God is my Savior. I'm happy that God has saved me. When Peter sets up his whole letter, he begins with this massive litany of how happy he is in God. He goes on for the rest of the letter to talk about suffering. But his happiness in God is attached to the fact that God invaded his heart and according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. That's a quote from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. What is causing Mary's heart to leap is she loves her Savior. And there is a sense of thankfulness that comes out 
He's looked upon me and he's going to use me. And she was not proud about that. She was humbled by it. It's just, it's just what happens. There's this thanksgiving, not I'm so thankful at how great I am. It's this sense of I am thankful that God would choose to use me. Humbled. And friends, sign of the work of the Spirit, Colossians 3 is filled with it. Ephesians 5 that we just quoted is filled with it. When the Spirit of God is at work, you give thanks. We have to admit that the opposite of thanksgiving is complaining. It's just true. It doesn't mean that you don't share your hurts and your feelings with your great God. It doesn't mean that a few of those people who are close to you, that you just ask them to pray for you and you, you share those struggles in your life. But, oh, friends, check the heart as to why you are sharing the struggles. Is it to vent in anger? Is it really calling God into question and His goodness into question? Or is it to kind of foster pity from people around you? May we reject that. That's not from the Spirit. What's from the Spirit is a Spirit that gives thanks and is known and characterized more by their thankfulness for God's work in them than the bad circumstances around them. Thankfulness. Number four, humble submission. Verses 50 through 55, I've already uh, stated to you that Mary is thanking God for who he is towards the proud and towards the humble. That God is just and that God is merciful. And she's thanking God for being God. But what this begins to highlight is Mary has already said, I will follow you wherever you will lead me. And it's evoking the reader and the listener of the psalm or the song to say, I want to be this humble follower. I want to say with Mary, let it be according to your word. I'm your servant. Do with me as you wish. And friends, I was reading, there's a woman who battled with lesbianism. And really it wasn't a battle. She lived this lifestyle for a long time. Her name is Rosaria Butterfield. And as I was reading this article that she wrote recently, I felt that she captured so beautifully what God does in the heart to humble us and what it means when we say, I follow you. And so I want you to listen. That when the Spirit of God takes over the heart, He humbles us. He changes us. But He also helps us fight this battle. And this is what an application that I pray blesses you. Here's the quote. To be clear, I was not converted out of homosexuality. I was converted out of unbelief. I didn't swap out a lifestyle. I died to a life I loved. Conversion to Christ made me face the question squarely. Did my lesbianism reflect who I am? Which is what I believed up until 1999. Or did my lesbianism distort who I am through the fall of Adam? I learned through conversion that when, here's a beautiful line, 
that when something feels right and good and real and necessary, but stands against God's word, this reveals the particular way Adam's sin marks my life. Our sin natures deceive us. Sin's deception isn't just out there. It's also deep in the caverns of our hearts. How I feel does not tell me who I am. Only God can tell me who I am. Because He made me and takes care of me. I only know who I really am when the Bible becomes my lens for self-reflection. And when the blood of Christ so powerfully pumps my heart whole. I love that. The blood of Christ pumps my heart whole. There's a new blood running through. That I can deny myself, take up the cross, and follow Him. There is no good will between the cross and the unconverted person. They don't love each other. The cross is ruthless. To take up your cross means that you are going to die. As A.W. Tozer has said, to carry a cross means you are walking away and you are never coming back. The cross symbolizes what it means to die to self. We die so that we can be born again. Get the image. And through Jesus, by repenting of our sin, even the unchosen ones, and putting our faith in Jesus, the author and the finisher of our salvation, the supernatural power that comes with being born again means where I once had a single desire, one that said, if it feels good, it must be who I am. I now have twin desires that war within me. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And this war doesn't end until glory. So when you think about victory over sin, it means we have Christ's company in the battle. We're not fighting it alone anymore. It's not that we're lobotomized. It's not that sin's been completely cut off and we don't struggle anymore. My choice sins know my name and address. And the same is true for you. And so when Mary sings this song, and she says, God is merciful and strong and exalts the humble. But he opposes the proud. He scatters the mind of the arrogant. He puts down those who are mighty in thrones. There is this sense that the reader says, I want to surrender my life and be humble. And I think that's a work of the Spirit. If you say, I want to be a humble follower of Jesus. Not perfectly, because we see there's a war going on. But when you say, I want to not let my feelings determine who I am, I want Christ to determine who I am, that is a work of the Spirit of God. And friends, as we fight that battle to follow Jesus, there's something that's just really helpful. When you say no to certain sins, I want you to have this image that there is this sense that God is pressing in and even getting closer. To say yes to sin is actually experientially distancing yourself from the good, loving kindness of your Father. He doesn't go distant. He doesn't get weaker towards you. You are pushing Him. So I'm inviting you to humble submission in every area of your life because when you choose to say no to sin and yes to Him, there is this near, intimate, restful experience with your God. And finally, 
when you're filled with the Spirit, you speak about the works of God. All throughout this song, Mary is singing about the greatness of God. Look at verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and his holy name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She is just singing about his strength and about his grace and about his mercy. And friends, I encourage you. I encourage you. Think on and speak out loud the good things that God has done. This past week, I got to the privilege of going to uh, a memorial service, a celebration-type service for family that has been attending TCC, uh, Kevin Park, who lost his wife um, tragically to cancer, a life that was cut short early. And I knew Pam just briefly and only parts of her life, but when I went to the memorial service on Friday night, we, that she had tons of people that stood up and testified about Pam's life. And I just began to get to know her in a remarkable way. Her and her husband were converted late in life. They seemed to have, she had, they had set out 10-year goals, and their 10-year goals were met in four years. It was, we have three cars, we have two boats, and we got a house on the lake. Now what? And they were like, what do we do? And so she was like, maybe we should go to church. So they go to church. Kevin told this story. He was like, they were sitting there in church, and he was thinking about what skis he was going to get as he was going to go get on the boat after the service. He intentionally said, I'll go to church, just pick the earliest service so that I can get to the lake by 10. And it was while the pastor was speaking, Pam, his wife, went, boom. Have you ever gotten one of those? I've gotten one of those. My wife gets excited and is like, hey, listen up, what's going on? And so he got the thud in the chest and he was jarred out of what he was doing. And she says, did you know what he just said? Because if you knew what he just said and you've never told me about that, I'm going to hit you when we get home. What was it? What did she hear? She heard the gospel for the first time. And that day, she surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. As most husbands, Kevin caught up about a month later. Kevin trusted in Jesus. And their lives were forever changed. They sold much of what they had. They felt God was calling them to West Virginia. They ended up seeing a grandmother converted six months before she had died. And Pam just became effusive in her praise for God and constantly sharing the gospel where she was. And the testimony of this woman who was dying with cancer was nothing less than miraculous. And it said, she submitted to God's sovereign plan. I never heard her complain about why was God doing this to me. What I heard from her is I wish that I had more time to share Jesus with those around me. She was sharing with her nurses. She was sharing with her doctors about the beautiful love of Christ as she is suffering and literally dying from cancer. And one of our dear members, Tracy Carden, got up and shared a testimony as she sat with Pam in her last hours and said she looked at Pam and she said she was at such peace. That when I looked at Pam's life, it struck me. She today is going to see Jesus. And she says, to this very day, I don't look at death the same. I don't fear it anymore. I don't fear cancer anymore. Because I saw the Spirit of God in this woman speaking about the goodness of God. 
and having peace overcome fear and love replace anger. And it was that example in those last moments that strengthened her to great faith. Oh, friends, the Spirit of God is at work. May He give us eyes to see, mouths to speak, and hearts that fully, humbly embrace Him wherever He leads us to go. Let's pray. Father, I thank You. I thank You. I thank You for Jesus. It was Pam's favorite song, Give Me Jesus. In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Oh, Father, that we might be able to say those words. It's an echo of Mary's psalm. My heart magnifies you, O God, and I rejoice in my Savior. Oh, God, please. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to not only see it in others, but to see that your Spirit is at work in our own lives. Help us to be more aware of your goodness to us than our failures before you or our struggles in life. Father, the fact that so many people are here is a testimony that your Spirit is at work. The fact that people are wanting to fight against their sin at all is a testimony that you are at work. Oh, Father... Encourage your people today. Help them to see the beauty of Jesus. Please, oh Father, may they see you at work. And may what happens in the heart is just joy rising up. Because we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Christ has won the battle. He's in our hearts. And we love him. So God, do a work, I pray, in these times work in this moment.